Besides the platform that our customers use, there are these assessments that require a, a separate development process that organizational psychologists follow when they're like developing and validating assessments. So there were kind of two sides to it uh, originally, but the platform originally took about nine months to create. There were four of us in the beginning and um, only one engineer. He built the whole product was really pr pretty minimal. So um, had just a few assessments, not very feature rich. Our big goal at the time was to get something out that was really accessible and easy to use. I'm Josh Millett. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Criteria. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Lapart, and today, how Josh Millett built the tools to help companies use data to make better hiring decisions. All this and more on Code Story. Josh Millett's journey to tech was quite circuitous. He spent most of his 20s doing a PhD in French medieval history, with his plan to be a professor in college. His specific time period of study was the era around Joan of Arc. Upon graduating, he realized that the job market for French medieval history professors wasn't super hot, and he ended up doing a startup with some of his friends from school, a small test prep company, which ended up being sold with five employees on board. He's married with two boys, living in Los Angeles. With two boys, he mentioned that there's a lot of refereeing, and he feels like an adjudicator and mediator most of the time. After getting involved in the hiring process at his prior company, he felt the pains of knowing when an interview was over early on. He thought there has to be a better way to use data and tech to make this process more efficient. This is the creation story of Criteria. Criteria is a uh, talent decision platform, primarily a hiring decision platform. So we build software and uh, assessments and uh, other tools, structured interviewing tools as well, that help companies make better hiring decisions. So essentially we help them do their hiring, do their talent acquisition in a more science-based, more evidence-based way, using data to make their decisions. So the goal is to help them, you know, get better hiring outcomes and, and remove uh, bias from their from their hiring process. As I mentioned in grad school, I became friends with a bunch of psychologists, which was primarily, I think, looking back because the psychologists had had better parties than the historians. So, <laughs> so I, I learned a lot from them. And my co-founder, one of my co-founders in both my first company and Criteria, is a psychologist, and so I've I've learned a lot from him and. You know, we build assessments. One of the main parts of our, our service are, are, are building these uh, assessments, cognitive personality, emotional intelligence assessments. And so there's a lot of psychology involved there. So both my co-founders have psychology backgrounds and uh, I've learned a lot from them. The origin of the company was after my first startup was acquired, I, I got uh, I moved out from the East Coast to L.A. to work for the acquirer for a few years and was pretty new to business. I mean, I'd never had a real corporate job other than the startup I'd done right out of right out of grad school. Somehow I started playing a role in hiring, which I was completely unqualified for. 
And uh, that was the genesis of the idea for Criteria is, um, and you're like, oh no, I have another 55 minutes here and uh, there's gotta be a way to use technology to um, make this process more science-driven and more efficient. Tell me about that first product. So you, you segued right into it perfectly. Tell me about the MVP, how long it took you to build and what sort of tools you use to bring it to life. You know, we are definitely a technology company, a SaaS business, but there's also a um, kind of content publishing part to our company because besides the platform that our customers use, there are these assessments that require a, a separate development process that organizational psychologists follow when they're like developing and validating assessments. So there were kind of two sides to it uh, originally, but the platform originally took about nine months to create. There were four of us in the beginning and um, only one engineer, a guy named Wayne, who's been our CTO pretty much forever uh, since, since then. He, he's amazingly efficient and a little bit of a visionary in terms of product and, and dev. He built the whole product. Even a after we launched, you know, nine months in, we launched the product to the market, was really, pr at the time, pretty minimal. So really an MVP, um, had just a few assessments, not very feature rich, but our big goal at the time was to get something out that was really accessible and easy to use because we, we made a really good decision early on, which is just that we were competing in a market where a lot of our competitors were pretty good at, at creating assessments, but they weren't technology companies. So we just, we picked an area where we're competing against a lot of old line content publishers. And so the competitive advantage that we thought we had, we all had a software background. We thought we could build something more user-friendly and, and essentially easier to adopt. And so that was the emphasis, was really making something accessible and user-friendly that, that people could adopt with minimal training. So, so with any MVP, you've got to dig into, you know, what what you're trying to build first. And you talked about that with the content. You know, there's other trade-offs around feature cuts and technical debt, I'm sure. Tell me about some of those decisions and trade-offs you had to make um, yourself and as a team and how you coped with them. The big tension that we had from the beginning was kind of what I alluded to just a minute ago, where, you know, we were trying to... Basically, the goal of the company at that point was to make the science uh, behind assessments, because at that point we were purely an assessment business, and to make that kind of science accessible to companies of all sizes. Smaller businesses really, you know, weren't using them as much, and so the idea was, hey, can we build something really accessible that smaller and mid-sized businesses can use? For us, the, there was always this tension behind building a product that really delivered this kind of scientific punch. You know, we wanted it to like pack scientific punch, but it also needed to be user-friendly um, and accessible because especially in that market of SMBs, you know, you can't build some giant hulking thing that's, that's not easy to use out of the box. So that was the tension. And, you know, we were very, at that point, very, um, I, I guess the word might be as purists about, you know, there's gotta be, this has gotta be a science rich product. We can't dilute the science, but that often ran into or, or ran up against the goal of building something that had like consumer grade UX and that was really user friendly. With the goal of making the science more accessible, you need to, I won't say water it down, but you need to make it accessible, make it digestible. And so that was always our, our dilemma is like, how, how do we give this science, this really data-driven approach to companies that aren't sophisticated, 
without, you know, making it into a, something that's really hard to implement. So, so from there, right, you've got your MVP. How did you progress the product from that point? How did you mature it? And I'm interested in, you know, how you went about building your roadmap and deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing to build. Probably helpful for context at this point to say that we were, for the first uh, six or seven years of our company, we were bootstrapped. So we didn't have, uh, you know, a ton of uh, VC or outside capital. I mean, we raised, you know, a couple rounds of angel funding right at the beginning. And so, you know, obviously in that kind of scenario, you're managing for cash flow and you're being very careful with your with your dollars. It took a while for us to figure out kind of product market fit. And once we felt like we were achieving that, and we also, by the way, we also launched right before the financial crisis. <laughs> so the timing was, of, you know, 2008. So, so the timing was pretty unfortunate there in terms of like within six months of launching, uh, America was kind of in a hiring freeze and we're selling hiring software, right? So a little bit bad timing there. What we found over time and the, the way we basically evolved was uh, after a few years, we started figuring out product market fit and delivering a product that the companies wanted to use. But the general drift of our product roadmap since then has been to kind of move slowly up market to, to serve bigger companies. And now about half our business is enterprise business um, and it's the fastest growing part of the business. You know, no, I'm sure that, you know, you talk to a lot of companies that made that transition. There's there's a whole lot of elements there, but the, the product element is a really important one. So, you know, as we started up market, at first it was definitely not an intentional thing. We just happened to get a couple of big companies that, that liked the service and started using it. You know, slowly they informed our roadmap. And then, you know, as we built relationships with them, we realized, hey, these, these guys are asking for a lot of the same stuff that will work for other big companies, you know, customization, data security. Another big emphasis of, of enterprise customers was, as a general rule, they're they're much more concerned with DEI, with, with diversity, than, than smaller businesses are, who just are, are trying to grow their business, you know, any way they can. That, in the last three or four years, has be become a, a really big part of our mission and our product roadmap is, you know, making sure that the processes we're enabling are, are more, you know, fair and equitable for, um, you know, everyone involved in the in the world of work. So let's switch to team. So how did you go about building your team, and what did you look for in those people to indicate that they are the winning horses to join you? We've had really great luck. I think this is um, one of the areas we've we've uh, done the best at. Um, we use our own tools, of course, when we're hiring. What I'd say is that we've focused on hiring, you know, really smart, hardworking people, which sounds uh, really basic. But in general, when you look at how companies do their employee selection, and this is part of the, the message that we preach to our customers, companies are using data points that are what statisticians would call weak signals. So they're looking at things like years of experience is, is really important when companies hire, right? You see it all over job descriptions level of education or educational uh, achievement and those are those are helpful they do have a, a correlation to subsequent performance but they're not nearly as strong a correlation as things like you know someone's cognitive ability or their conscientiousness and work ethic so that's what our assessments focus on and there's, there's decades of research in organizational psychology that that show that this is true 
that uh, on balance, cognitive ability is one of the best predictors and conscientiousness is a really good predictor. And some of those other things that are front and center in a resume driven or uh, interview driven, especially unstructured interview driven world, which is how most companies after all still today do their hiring is you know resumes and interviews, and they're looking for the wrong signals. So we've really focused on using our assessments to build a team and, you know, it's resulted in us hiring some people that, you know, and this is an experience we hear about all the time from our customers. We've, we've hired people that you would never even have looked at based on their resumes. A couple of our top salespeople, for example, one, um, she was a physical therapist when we hired her, no experience in sales whatsoever. Another one of our top sales people was importing African art and selling it out of a, a, a truck in Los Angeles. <laughs> you can really build a team with a diverse set of experiences and with diverse backgrounds if you focus on things that aren't heavily reliant on experience um, or education. Let's switch to scalability. So did you build this to scale efficiently from day one, and that's technology or team, or are you fighting this as you grow? I would say, if I'm being honest, that, that it was more the latter. And, and, and for me, a big um, inflection point here was kind of our shift from being bootstrapped to about five years ago, we finally raised VC which I was initially quite um, skeptical of. And, you know, I was very proud of the fact that we had bootstrapped, but that also makes it sound like it was more of a choice. You know, <laughs> when we started out, uh, you know, no one was returning our calls. <laughs> so I think for us, you know, what, what happened when we made that transition is you realize you're really underinvested in key areas, right? And for us, it was, we were underinvested in almost every area. <laughs> So when you're bootstrapped, you know, it's really hard to think about long-term scaling as a priority. You know, you're, you're just trying to make the next quarter, right? And you're trying to create cash flow. And so one example is um, the, the person I mentioned earlier, Wayne, who's our CTO. You know, he was our only engineer until I think we had 12 or 15 employees. So that wasn't going to scale despite his brilliance, right? You, you know, we weren't thinking about scaling engineering. We were just, uh, you know, relying on Wayne. Five years ago when we raised money and could invest a little ahead of the curve, that was when we transitioned to really thinking about scalability in our tech stack, in our sales and go-to-market org, all those things. And that was, that was partly, you know, the influence of the investors and they've both given us that perspective. So that was really helpful to, to sort of feel the ways in which you have to set yourself up to scale, which had not been um, an emphasis for us earlier on. Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? You know, I would say, I mean, it, it sounds kind of cheesy, but I, I, I think I'm really most proud of the, of the team we've built. For us, my, my co-founder David and I, we, we've always had kind of an attitude that, you know, once you take money from outside investors, you know, even when you take it from your uncle or, you know, your friends and family, you know, you're kind of serving like three constituencies, right? You're obviously serving customers and your employees and then shareholders. And a lot of tech companies kind of are, are oriented around the, you know, customer first type mentality. And, um, we love our customers. They're really important to us, obviously. But for me, the, the sort of the most key part in that in that sort of triumvirate is employees. And if you kind of prioritize employee happiness, you know, and build a great team, you're going to have happy customers. And ultimately, it, it usually works out for shareholders as well, if you can do that. 
I think we, we've really um, had an advantage because we've been using our own tools to find great people. And then, you know, then it falls to the leadership to kind of create a culture where once you've hired this great group of people, you know, that you make it a place that they, you know, don't want to leave. And so that's, um, that's been an emphasis of mine and of the leadership team for, for a long time. I mean, we've made a, a lot of mistakes over the years, um, but I think if you get that part right and build a great team, and secondarily, I, I, I'm biased, but in SaaS, you know, the, the business model is just really sound. You know, if you can create a subscription-based business and a great team to deliver it, there's so many other things you can get wrong and still be okay. It really creates a great margin for error if you have, you know, a sound business model and a great team. Let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. I would say that one thing that we've only discovered over a long period of time, and I wish it had been a much more contracted period of time, is that we needed to pay more attention to how we priced our product. That probably at, at, at an early stage should have been me. I should have you know, been owning pricing. I mean, I think I did own pricing. The idea that you know our company is very data-driven and we didn't look at pricing in as evidence-based a way as we should have. And as a result, we uh, kind of chronically underpriced our product for a long time. And so that's something that I wish we had paid more attention to um, uh, earlier on. I'm even an advocate now of having a person who completely owns pricing and that's their kind of their only job. And the other thing, which is more the product uh, from a product perspective, um, although it's kind of on the on the nexus of product and go to market, is that as we evolved, it was a pretty common trajectory for SaaS businesses, I think, from serving more SMBs to being kind of more focused on the mid and then the enterprise market. And the vast majority of our customer base are still SMBs. And the mistake there that I'd love to be able to go back and correct is from a product standpoint, in, in terms of product analytics tools that we're using and just the way we approached uh, our product dev and roadmap is we didn't do enough customer segmentation work um, early on. We were kind of flying blind or flying more on intuition and anecdotal feedback that we got from our bigger customers uh, in terms of evolving the product roadmap there. And we're much more rigorous now about knowing, you know, which feature sets are used and important by, by enterprise customers versus small businesses. So we've made that switch, but if we'd made it a lot earlier, I think we would have been able to go up market in a more purposeful and deliberate way than sort of in bits and pieces. Well, so what does the future look like for the product and for your team? Right before COVID, we actually uh, acquired an Australian assessment business. And so uh, a company called Revelion, which uh, is really a leader in game-based assessments, so we're really excited about that. You know, one of the big trends in talent acquisition is, is a real increased emphasis on candidate experience. You know, game-based assessments uh, can really play a, play a role there. Now, though, with, with COVID, obviously we thought when we acquired Revelion, you know, we thought we were going to be over there a lot more, uh, you know, going back and forth between Australia and the U.S. That, that really hasn't happened. So we've had to build a, a, a company, you know, a combined culture and a combined company remotely. And that's, you know, obviously that has some some challenges. So now we've got two real geographies that we operate in. I mean, we have, you know, customers in, uh, I think, 60 countries, but majority of our business is in Australia and North America. So that's a, that's a real uh, challenge is kind of melding those two cultures um, 
Luckily, there's a lot of alignment between sort of cultural values for the two companies, but that's a challenge. At the same point for us, we've really only kind of separated out product and technology in the last few years. So we didn't have a, a CPO until a couple, you know, a couple of years ago. Before that, you know, the product roadmap was kind of uh, in our heads. You know, that's been a transition as we've kind of built a, a real product organization um, that sits alongside and works closely with engineering. So that, that's, uh, I'm really excited about that because as a result of that, we now have a roadmap in the next kind of 18 to 24 months that I would say, like without exaggeration, is sort of three to five X as, as full as what it was in the you know, past 18 months. So we're really accelerating the velocity of you know, how we build product. And, and that's really exciting. Um, I think we we're developing a much more ambitious product that uh, basically the transition we're undergoing is from being purely an assessment business to a business that's focused on, I guess I would say like people analytics more broadly, like um, making talent decisions more science-based or helping companies do them in a more science-based, uh, evidence-based way across the whole HR lifecycle, which is really exciting. Let's switch to you, Josh. Who influences the way that you work? You name a CEO, a CTO, architect, really any person. Name a person that you look up to and why. Yeah, I mean, I, I would uh, come back to our C CTO there. Uh, I mean, uh, it's amazing how much, how productive he is. Uh, a guy named Wayne, he's, he really built the, uh, the first five years, he built the product himself. Now he's assembled a really great team of engineers in both US and Australia and is growing that team quickly. But, uh, you know, for a long time, it was really him alone. And he's got an amazing work ethic and just a really intuitive grasp for, um, for product. So um, I really admire him and I think I've, I've learned a lot uh, from him over time. Well, we talked about a mistake, but a little bit different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do differently or where would you consider taking a different approach? Yeah, just on a high level in terms of the journey that we've been on at Criteria, I think it would have been really advantageous looking back. As I said, I was kind of stubbornly uh, committed to bootstrapping past a certain point. And uh, I think if we um, you know, started looking for outside capital maybe three years earlier, it really could have accelerated our trajectory earlier and been really uh, beneficial. So I think that like that decision as you're growing a, a company, especially technology one, the decisions of, you know, how and when and why to take capital are uber important. Um, I think they're, you know, especially the, the when and the why, you know, if you get that right, it can be really helpful. And if you raise money like for the wrong reasons or pick the wrong partner as an investor, it can really um, screw you up basically. So having that perspective when I was like 33, you know, starting the company, that would have been really, really helpful because if you do it at the right time, it's really an accelerant for the business. You know, I wish I'd uh, realized that a few years earlier. Well, last question. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? One of the things you do is, as you grow a company um, as, the, as the CEO or in a leadership role is, well, especially for a CEO, I think you, 
you um, over time as a company scales, you'll have to let go of different areas at different time and, and hire people to you know run key key areas or, or business functions. Um, but for me, you know, Criterion is a very product focused company, and what I would say is, you know, product should be the last thing you let go of. In fact, I, I would say from my perspective, I never want to let go of product completely. Um, even if you like right now we have a CPO who's a lot better at product um, uh, than I am, but I think it's really still important that I am actively involved in the conversation around product because I think there's um, so many benefits from from being product focused at, at the highest level, you know, in the in the um, C-suite and the leadership. Um, so that would be my advice is, you know, as you let go of many things and and um, hand off key areas to others. Like for me, if you're, if you're product driven, like the, the CEO should always have a, a, a big role in product. That's great advice. Well, Josh, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of criteria. Thanks so much for having me Noah. And this concludes another chapter of code story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash codestory for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. Big money on plant protection supplies. Now at Menards. Defend your garden with Triazicide Insect Killer. Its fast-acting formula protects lawns, vegetables, and many other plants. It kills more than 260 insects by contact, above and below ground. Choose from ready-to-spray, concentrate, or granular. Save big money on Triazicide Insect Killer at Menards. And check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save